This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The end of the road for gas rationing. The people of British Columbia stepped up. Every one of you paid your part. Lifting the 30-liter limit and the optimistic outlook for the Coquihalla. Parents push for rapid testing. It's been a huge stress relief to be able to rule out COVID very quickly. The pandemic impact on childcare and how tests could make a difference. And holiday travel in the time of coronavirus. Many places have different requirements, whether it's a test or a vaccine. How the to-do list is getting even longer. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. Some measured good news tonight in the provincial government's latest update on the recovery efforts from last month's devastating floods. While the state of emergency has been extended for another two weeks, the outlook is definitely more positive on at least two other fronts. Ted Chernecki reports. Gasoline rationing ends Tuesday, with the Trans Mountain Pipeline back up and running and other fuels continuing to be brought in by barge and rail. The province feels confident the supply chain is no longer broken. You know, people, I think, really understood the importance of observing that 30-litre rule. And, you know, we asked people to pull together, and they did. After touring the Coquihalla 72 hours ago, BC's Transportation Minister was both impressed with the incredible progress being made and incredulous with how much more needs to be done. About 130 kilometres of the corridor uh, with intervals in between, of course, sustained damage uh, to that highway. And the level of destruction from the first storm on November 14th was difficult to comprehend for all of us. And seeing it up close, uh, it was unfathomable. Temporary access to the Bottle Top Bridge to the north and the Carolyn Bridge to the south means heavy equipment can now maneuver deeper into the damaged zones. There's even some optimism that the Coquihalla might reopen in early January or even sooner instead of the middle of the month, but only for commercial traffic. Until then, the Hope Princeton remains closed to everyone except essential traffic. It's the lone corridor for semi-trailer trucks moving essential goods. We have about 3,000 trucks a day now on that highway, and it's vital that we support the safe movement of essential goods. That's why we've enhanced winter maintenance on the number three. They've also enhanced enforcement. Police have issued 116 speeding tickets on the Hope Princeton in December, and we're only 13 days into the month. That's an average of nine tickets a day. The only vehicles allowed on that road are emergency vehicles, road repair crews, and delivery trucks. Because of the fragile nature of BC's road network, the state of emergency has been extended another two weeks to December 28th. Ted Chernacki, Global News. And a trucking company has paid a heavy price for the dangerous driving of one of its employees. We showed you this video earlier this month of a semi-trailer passing on a double solid line on a curve along Highway 5A between Princeton and Merritt. Transportation Minister Rob Fleming says the government has taken swift action against the company. That company, I can tell you today, has had its license to operate in B.C. suspended. 
While the CVSC is going to continue its investigation and its audit of the company, that evidence has directly led to uh, a suspension. Now, the company has not been named. Fleming says the vast majority of truck drivers are doing the right thing and driving safely. And on the topic of road conditions and weather, there is the potential for snow in the forecast. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us with more on who could see it and when. Christy? Sophie, uh, Mother Nature has been teasing lower elevations of the Metro Vancouver region with snow for the last couple of days and tonight will be no different. So freezing levels are going to drop to about 300 metres and we're expecting a wave of moisture to push in. So uh, a range is always expected for our region. Here's a look. We're under a special weather statement highlighted in yellow and that's for Metro Vancouver west and central parts of the Fraser Valley. So a range from 0 to 5 centimetres with that 5 more likely over higher elevations. Fraser Canyon and east parts of Fraser Valley anywhere from 5 to 10 centimeters and 0 to 10 expected across the interior regions. When I come back, I'll explain why such a range for the interior and we'll break down the timeline when you have the best chance of seeing the snow. All right. Thanks for that, Christy. Well, any parent with a child in daycare knows that during COVID, an allergy or a runny nose could mean a major disruption to their workday. Many say rapid testing could be a game changer, but with millions of those tools in provincial storage, some parents are taking matters into their own hands. It's quality time for Chantel Moore and her now two-year-old son, Wesley, something they've been having a lot more of recently because Moore isn't sending him to childcare. I was told that if I, I paused his space and pulled him out, I would lose my spot and have to start over again. So I've been paying the monthly fee for space I can't use. Moore made the decision because of a high-risk person at home and a lack of COVID restrictions in the childcare. Challenges many believe can be partly solved by these rapid COVID tests. I think rapid testers, rapid tests, sorry, uh, would be a game changer in BC. Um, it's one tool that we have in our toolkit. The province turning down an interview request on the issue. The BC government has millions of rapid tests in storage, but has not made them yet available to child cares or the public. These are the ones we got. Dana McDonald, another Vancouver mum, went as far as to buy tests herself online. It's been a huge um, stress reliever to be able to rule it out and then pretty easily or more confidently send him back to daycare once his symptoms have lessened. In some cases, kids are dropped off at care, start sniffling and are sent home, forcing parents to leave work. If they are available either from the provincial or federal government, then then why aren't we using them? In other cases, like at Creo Kids in White Rock, one asymptomatic kid led to six COVID cases in the centre alone. Then COVID got passed on to the local school. I think in that situation, when we had the first two cases, which we knew of, we could have had all the kids tested um, before allowing them in. Um, and that way it wouldn't have spread. Some child carers are reluctant to test kids. Even testing staff is something they support. It enables us as an agency to, to put a plan in place much quicker than we do now um, when we're just sitting and waiting for tests to come back. All right, Richard Zussman joins us with more now on rapid testing. And Richard, Global News has learned uh, Alberta is set to hand out their rapid test kits. Yeah, they're going to be free, Sophie. The formal announcement is 
coming tomorrow afternoon. They will be handing out those rapid tests at pharmacies across Alberta. Every Albertan will be eligible for one kit. That's five tests every two weeks. And you can take one of those tests every 72 hours, so it will get you through the two weeks. Comes on the same day that Nova Scotia made an announcement. The test will be made available for free at libraries and liquor stores. British Columbia will have a briefing tomorrow. We're expecting new COVID modeling. What's unclear is whether we'll have any announcements on whether those rapid tests that are in storage will be made available. I'm told that Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix will talk about rapid tests. It's unclear, though, exactly what they're going to say on the issue. All right, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Thank you, Richard. Let's take a look now at the latest COVID-19 numbers for BC. We have three days to report to you. Three, uh, there are 1,102, sorry, 1,129 new infections and 2,949 active cases. Big drop in hospital numbers, 185 in hospital. That's down 26, 72 patients in the ICU. And five more people have died from complications of the virus. A rise in COVID cases, several of which are now confirmed to be the Omicron variant, has forced the University of Victoria to cancel all of its in-person exams for the rest of the month and move them online. As Kylie Stanton reports, some students and staff weren't happy with the way UVic communicated the change. In what would be a normally busy time at the University of Victoria, the campus is quiet. News of a spike in positive COVID-19 cases, not the only thing that's spreading. Well, I found out from some people in my residence last night. I got a notification from my friend that she saw the post on Instagram um, and kind of everything went crazy. Over the weekend, the university made the decision to move all exams online, effective first thing Monday citing rising COVID-19 numbers. And we needed to take some decisive action. The university says there's a cluster of 124 confirmed cases. At least four are the Omicron variant, with more expected. All of them linked to two off-campus social gatherings involving business students and varsity athletes. This was probably a larger gathering. And as a consequence, the larger the gathering, the larger the risk. And the larger the number of cases, the greater the fallout. It's a little bit nerve-wracking, yeah. Students are now scrambling to make the shift, while it appears professors are playing catch-up. I don't know if the teachers had time to prepare for it that much. I think we like found out before some of them. So The institution's communication of the matter coming under fire in this tweet by Earth and Ocean Sciences professor Andrew Weaver, saying, my burning question is, did students hear via text, Discord, or Reddit before they got my class email, which I sent minutes after the UVic tweet? I do appreciate and, and own that it uh, came came as a surprise to some. We, we do have to operate and keep people healthy and safe. But one expert says if rapid testing were used, it likely wouldn't have come to this. They will pick up certain things. It will allow us to figure out who is still transmitting to who else and interrupt these transmission networks. A very good tool that we should think about using a bit more in British Columbia. For now, all these students can do is try and adapt as best they can. But there's no denying this has many thinking it's a step in the wrong direction. Just makes me a bit worried for next semester. I hope it doesn't move to online. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry now with more. We saw some uh, good news in the latest numbers, Keith. A big drop in hospitalizations. Mm -hmm. But there's also growing concern, as we just heard, uh, on Vancouver Island, where you are. 
Yeah, it's not just the UVic outbreak. The numbers have been escalating for some time. In a place where really on the island, we really haven't had COVID-19 cases to speak of for the longest period in the pandemic. That's changed in the last six weeks or so, and certainly in the last uh, 10 days. And the health indicators are all going the wrong way for a health authority that's much smaller than the two big ones in Fraser and Metro. Vancouver Island now has the second highest number of active cases, almost 800, just behind Fraser Health. That was unheard of months ago. Second highest daily case numbers, almost 100. A day. And this, this, is, this is the one that's concerning. The second highest test positive rate at 7%. The province rate is about 3%. Northern Health had been the big concern for some time with double digits of test positive uh, positivity rate. But now they're at 9%. Vancouver Island at 7%. As I mentioned, it's not just University of Victoria. There was a church gathering uh, in Comox about uh, 10 days ago. That's led to more than 150 cases associated with that. Also, uh, Northern Van- Vancouver Island also also seen more cases. So again, Vancouver Island, the new hotspot for when it comes to COVID-19 in BC. Again, that was unheard of just months ago. All right. And I can't let you go, Keith, without uh, congratulating you, of course. (laughs) Keith just won the BC Association of Broadcasters Broadcast Performer of the Year Award and well-deserved, my friend. Thank thank you very much (laughs) to you, Chris, Marsha in the control and everyone else helping out for so long in this pandemic. And it keeps going on, so we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks, Keith. All right. Well, as the holiday travel season ramps up, people are being urged to pack some extra patience and be prepared for added hassle. That is the emergence of the Omicron variant is triggering a new round of COVID testing requirements and international travel restrictions. Aaron MacArthur has the latest. The airport seems a little more lively. People are traveling for the holidays. Nowhere near the volume pre-pandemic, but it's creeping up. About 40,000 people a day expected to pass through YVR in December. On top of the usual hassle of holiday travel, COVID making every step of the journey just a little bit harder. We recognize that as you plan your trip this holiday season, it might actually be the first time you're back in the airport in over a year or a year and a half. Border rules are changing seemingly by the week. So too are testing requirements. The U.S. now mandating all air travelers leaving Canada to have valid pre-departure tests in hand. And while Canada hasn't matched that, travelers coming from all other international destinations will need to submit test results. YVR planning to ramp up testing facilities on site. Almost 5,000 passengers a day will need to be tested. YVR about halfway to the goal laid out by the federal government. They haven't given us a specific date because the reality is, as you can imagine, we need to build capacity. Dr. Teresa Tam has said there's little risk in flying domestically, but considering the new threat of the Omicron variant, that advice could change. The federal health minister basically told Canadians they should not be traveling abroad this Christmas. And judging by the confusion at the land border over the Arrive Can app, Agents could be operating under a different set of rules than people expect when they come back. What we're doing here at CBSA is we're ensuring that we're briefing our staff from the changes that are coming from the Public Health Agency of Canada. And we understand that there are a lot of questions when travellers do arrive and our border services officers are there to help everyone. The testing at YVR is done without charge to the traveller, but as capacity is still an issue, registering for testing on arrival can be done through YVR's website. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Surrey's mayor is under intense scrutiny for that public mischief charge he's facing. I 
can't tell you how many people have contacted me over the last four or five days. The biggest word they use is embarrassed. And now questions about who is paying his legal bill. That's next on the news hour. Utter devastation picking up the pieces from the weekend's brutal tornadoes. That's later on the news hour. Also ahead, security video captures a brazen robbery at a downtown department store. What the thief got away with later. Right now, Surrey taxpayers are now footing Doug McCallum's legal bills on a public mischief charge, which stemmed from the mayor's claim that his foot was run over earlier this year. As Catherine Urquhart reports, it's unclear if the public will be reimbursed if the mayor is found guilty. After limping on camera and claiming he'd been struck by a car, Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum was charged criminally with public mischief. The city of Surrey is now confirming that McCallum's legal bills are being paid for by taxpayers. I have great concerns with the fact that the city is paying, that the citizens, the taxpayer of this city are paying for legal fees in this instance. Those bills will be substantial. McCallum's lawyer is Richard Peck one of Vancouver's best and priciest criminal lawyers. He represented Huawei's Meng Wanzhou, who spent nearly three years under house arrest in Vancouver as the U.S. sought to extradite her on bank and wire fraud charges. The city should not be paying Doug McCallum's legal bills. Doug admitted himself that he was out there on personal time doing shopping at Overweighty Foods. That's what his intention was. And if we're doing personal business, the city should never be responsible for our legal bills. Like other cities, Surrey allows for payment of some legal bills, but Section 7.2 of their bylaw on indemnification states, no fine by the city that is imposed as a result of a municipal official's conviction for an offence that is not a strict or absolute liability offence. It does not appear from the drafting of the bylaw, though, that it would apply to offences like public mischief. It's not meant to cover situations where somebody, as the mayor is alleged to have done, makes a false police report, arguably in order to advance their political cause. If McCallum were to be found guilty, would taxpayers get their money back? He is required, or could be if found guilty, required to pay that money back. The challenge is, how do you get that to happen? And um, from what I've found out, there is almost uh, no instance where anyone has ever paid back the city for legal fees. Okay. So, for now at least, Surrey taxpayers are on the hook for those legal fees, fees that will likely skyrocket in the months ahead. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Coming up, an untapped tourism opportunity. One of the most important changes that are going to happen is the way that people perceive Vancouver. A new partnership aimed at rebuilding BC's battered travel industry. And later... I am apologizing to you on behalf of the government of Canada. A long-awaited apology to survivors of sexual misconduct in the military. What it means for the armed forces going forward. Good news here in Coquitlam. Final clearing stages of a crash on Lougheed Highway at Chilco. The bad news is this is what the leftover volume looks like. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Lougheed and Chilco in Coquitlam. 
Well, since the pandemic began, B.C.'s tourism sector has taken hit after hit, including huge financial losses and job cuts. Now, a new campaign featuring Indigenous-led attractions and experiences aims to build tourism back better. Emily Lazatin has more. Beautiful B.C. We're known for our breathtaking scenic beauty, our mix of cultures and much more. But now a memorandum of understanding between Destination of Vancouver and Indigenous Tourism BC will focus on bringing the Indigenous culture to those who visit. One of the most important changes that are going to happen is the way that people perceive Vancouver. That there's an Indigenous story that's to be told here. That these are the unceded territories of three nations and their stories are incredible. The culture is incredible. Vancouver, rich in sights to see, also wealthy in history. The hope that Indigenous stories, along with its vibrant culture, language and spirit, will be part of the overall experience. For its part, the city partnering with the two groups. What uh, stories do you want told? How do we uh, rename streets and plazas to, to reflect uh, very uh, ancient names? And how do we bring that forward in a way that uh, tourists, newcomers to the city can understand? Out of more than 600 First Nations in Canada, more than 200 are here in the province. Seeking diversity and inclusion, getting students involved, just one of the first steps. To establish a scholarship for Indigenous students, uh, students in the tourism industry who want to grow and build a career within tourism. Uh, the second thing that we're going to do is storytell. So we're going to work with their Indigenous community, truly the original, original storytellers, in terms of bringing their stories to life. From the pandemic to floods and storms, the province and the tourism industry have suffered significant loss. But in rebuilding a better BC for the tourism sector, their vision includes building a better and deeper understanding. Whenever you think about Vancouver, you're not only thinking about the incredible city, but you're thinking about the Indigenous people and the long history here. Emily Lazatin, Global News. Well, when someone says they're allergic to the holidays, it might actually be true. Partly from bringing the outdoors indoors. How decking the halls could trigger your symptoms just ahead. Plus, the department store robbery that forced an evacuation in downtown Vancouver. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Extra busy once again for eastbound traffic on Highway 1 through Burnaby due to a multi-vehicle crash right underneath the Kensington overpass. Planning a trip with BCAA Travel Insurance, you get free COVID-19 medical coverage and worldwide virtual care from BC's top choice. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 1 in Burnaby. Well, the federal government has formally apologized to current and former members of the military for systemic issues in dealing with sexual misconduct. Global's Kyle Benning has more on the apologies and the path forward. I am apologizing to you on behalf of the government 
of Canada. It was an announcement two years in the making. The federal government's formal apology to current and former armed forces members who were survivors of sexual misconduct. The very institution charged with protecting and defending our country has not always protected and defended its own members. The apology is part of a $900 million class action lawsuit settlement from 2019. The Deputy Minister for the National Defence Department and Canada's top military officer also offered apologies. The harm you suffered happened on our collective watch, on my watch. Whether through naivety or ignorance, both inexcusable, the problem persisted. The government has received nearly 19,000 claims in regards to sexual harassment, sexual assault, or discrimination based on gender, gender identity, or sexual orientation. It has approved about 5,400. One advocacy group hopes this apology can help bring closure to the men and women who have been impacted by these systemic issues. And one thing that we have to recognize in this is that everyone is on a different path in the journey. For some people today, this will resonate. And for some people, it might take time. The Prime Minister wasn't part of the virtual apology, but was asked about it during a press conference. He says changing the culture in the military won't happen overnight, but needs to take place. The way to do it every step of the way is to put survivors at the center of everything we do. To. More than 4,800 people who submitted a claim as part of the settlement said they would engage in how government can change the culture in the armed forces. Kyle Benning, Global News. Vancouver police are on the hunt for a brazen robbery suspect who used bear spray inside a posh department store earlier this month. At around 6 in the evening, Friday, December 3rd, the masked suspect walked into Holt Renfrew on Dunsmuir in Pacific Centre and pulled the trigger on a can of bear spray. The robber then grabbed an $1,800 purse from a display rack and walked out heading east on Dunsmuir. Police say dozens of shoppers were hit by the cloud of bear spray and the entire store had to be evacuated because it was so hard to breathe. It caused uh, a lot of distress to a number of people, both staff and shoppers who were in the store. Um, if anybody has ever been uh, sprayed with bear spray or been in the vicinity of where bear spray has been sprayed, you know it's uh, very, very uncomfortable. It's an extreme irritant to the uh, eyes, nose, uh, skin, causes temporary blindness. Investigators are hoping someone can identify the suspect who is believed to be a man or woman in their 20s. They were wearing a yellow face mask, green hoodie, and a distinctive black cap with a white logo on the front. Well, 12 days before Christmas and the Better Business Bureau is sharing an equal number of holiday scams to avoid. These are the top three. Misleading social media ads from small businesses claiming to support charities or offering free trials. These are actually online purchase scams. You could end up paying for an item that's never received or getting stuck with monthly charges for something you didn't sign up for. Social media gift exchanges from swapping bottles of wine to purchasing $10 gifts online or sending your email to a pay it forward list. It's a pyramid scheme. Victims unwittingly share their personal information and are tricked into buying and shipping gifts or money to strangers. And holiday apps. Apple's App Store and Google Play list dozens of Christmas apps where kids can chat live with Santa or track him and his reindeer. 
With COVID causing many to skip in-person Santa visits, it's important to review privacy policies and be wary of free apps which can contain malware. When you're busy and, and rushed to make uh, decisions, that's really a good time for scammers to target you. Follow your gut instincts, do your research, take time to breathe during this holiday season, and stay safe. And you can find the full list of the BBB's top 12 Christmas scams on our website, globalnews.ca, globalnews.ca slash BC. In Health Matters tonight, if you have noticed a runny nose and watery eyes lately, it's probably more than just those sappy Christmas movies on TV. Experts say holiday festivities and traditions can trigger allergy and asthma symptoms. For many people, Christmas isn't Christmas without a tree, but both real and artificial ones can make some sick. Dr. Ann Hicks has noticed her own allergies acting up around this time of year. We see an emergence of allergies over the season, partly from bringing the outdoors indoors. The pediatric pulmonary specialist says terpenes, which create that pine smell, can irritate the respiratory system. So can fungi. Live trees can definitely have mold on them. A lot of people have mold allergies. They can also pick up a little bit of the weed pollens that are more common in the fall. New artificial trees can off-gas formaldehyde, which can also trigger allergy symptoms, as can dusty decorations dragged out of the basement once a year. Dr. Hicks adds anything that produces smoke is particularly difficult for people with asthma. That includes wood-burning fireplaces and candles, especially scented ones. And it decreases the overall air quality in your home to have um, any smoke entering your home. So that can impact everybody's breathing to a certain extent. A few tips. Spray or brush off trees and remove dead material. Make sure your fireplace has a good draw so smoke goes outside. And store decorations in sealed plastic boxes rather than cardboard, which can get moldy. Just fine. Mm -hmm. Holiday visiting can also mean encountering allergens in other people's homes, including pets. Ask the host if they can stay out of your space. As for food allergies, tell the host about any potential ingredient issues, bring your own treats, and don't forget your EpiPen. During the holidays, routines often go out the window. It's really easy to kind of slide off the wagon with your medications. People sleep in or they go out and they do unfamiliar things. And it's so tempting to have a little Christmas treat. We have more coming up on the possibility of snow. Christy has your forecast just ahead, plus the fatal force of nature in Kentucky. The town that you grew up in and everything you know is memories is all gone. The stunning destruction and stories of surviving the tornadoes next. And later, bright light at night, the celestial sight over Vancouver Island. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The death toll from this weekend's likely record-breaking tornado outbreak in the U.S. Midwest continues to climb. And for those who survived, many have lost everything. And the cleanup is only just beginning. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more. You can have the warnings, but... What do you do? It's hard to find a place in Mayfield, Kentucky that's been left intact. Once bustling neighborhoods lie buried under the debris made up of the lives of those who called this town home. It's just, 
uh, upsetting, you know, to know that that's the town that you grew up in and everything, you know, his memories is all gone. There's no power and little running water making communication difficult. And the task of finding out who survived and who didn't seem impossible. The age range is five months to 86 years. Many died at a candle factory, the town's largest employer. Those inside had only minutes notice. I closed my eyes and all I see is people hollering and screaming for help. An hour east from Mayfield, 75% of Dawson Springs was wiped off the map. At least 13 people lost their lives. At least another six in Edwardsville, Illinois. It's a pretty devastating, um, you know, force of nature. And that's what we had here. Victims were trapped inside a recently built Amazon warehouse. The company is now facing a federal workplace investigation. Six states were impacted by these tornadoes, but it's Kentucky that bore the brunt of this rare, deadly December outbreak. You know, it's hard. David Hargrove, a lawyer in Mayfield, came back to his office to find one room remaining that housed client documents. It's hard to think anything. I mean, I'm just so overwhelmed with lots of emotions. Dina Cato has lost nearly everything. I can't say I've 100% processed it uh, because we've just been so busy with the chaos. She, like so many others in this town, don't know what lies ahead, leaving families and neighbors to rely on each other. That's the the benefits of a big family. We just all come together, team up and get it done. And that coming together is evident. So many strangers and neighbors are stepping up to offer help with shelter, food and the cleanup. President Biden will visit some of the hardest hit areas on Wednesday, but that visit will be brief with so many communities still struggling to understand the scope of their loss. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Mayfield, Kentucky. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon now for a look at our forecast and uh, snow for us, Christy. Well, at higher elevations, hopefully. Yeah, in relative terms, it, it's hard to sort of make sense of what they were dealing with there. And we, here we are complaining about the potential for snow. But yes, uh, for some people, it would be really nice to see some snow. Not great for drivers. So what we're talking about is about 300 meters is the freezing level. But, Sophie, I want to show you why there's a chance we could see it below that as well. Here's a look. So we've got this low sitting off of Vancouver Island. And what that's going to do is bring waves of moisture all across southern BC. And it will be bands of intense precipitation for the interior. Thus That's the reason why you can see anywhere from zero to 10 centimeters. But for the South Coast, when we get those bands of intensity, that can actually cause the freezing level to drop further than initially anticipated. So yes, there is a chance even lower elevations. So this is what one computer model is putting out there. We're talking about minimal amounts, but still the potential across Vancouver Island and even in Metro Vancouver. Best chance would be up through the Sea to Sky Highway and in East uh, Vancouver, uh, East Fraser Valley. These are the ranges that we could see in through the interior regions. I just want to mention something that's super fun. Looking out in the long range towards Christmas, everyone, it looks like there's a few computer models that are showing much colder air. So potential for white Christmas? Who knows? Still days away, but there is that chance. Uh, Tonight's going to be very cold across northern BC. We're talking about extreme wind chills down to minus 30, maybe even below, even during the day, only warming up to minus 27 in Fort Nelson, for example. Most of the snow for the interior regions overnight tomorrow morning and same for the south coast if we see that at all otherwise a few showers tomorrow with a high of four degrees and we do remain below seasonal for the next several days so so still more chances of snow as we have
here's tonight's central wind, wind, central windows weather window from Cox Bay. Uh, beautiful shot. And that on your right-hand side there is a hailstorm that just passed through. Really? Wow. Blue sky and a hailstorm side yeah. by side. All right. Thanks, yeah. Christy. Well, here's another pretty amazing sight on Vancouver Island. A cosmic visitor lit up parts of Vancouver Island on Sunday evening. Take a look at this video. It captures what appears to be a meteor streaking through the sky. It happened just after 5 p.m. And witnesses from as far south as Saanich and as far north as Campbell River reported seeing the streak. Some say they even heard a rumble or a boom. The sighting comes at the height of the annual Geminid meteor shower. No, Squire, the cosmic visitor was not E.T. You know, when you said cosmic visitor, I was really hoping that it, it was, was going to be E.T. I mean, come on, who hasn't seen a meteorite? But E.T., now e. that would be would something. would be something. It would be something. Yes, E.T. and his bike. Okay. We so, met Jim Rutherford today. Yes, we did. Jim Rutherford, who was a retired 72-year-old, living stress-free, suddenly had Francesco Aquilini show up at his house and ask him to run the Vancouver Canucks. So Francesco, he convinced me to come to Vancouver so I could have lots of stressful days. <laughs> so the Hall of Famer is back in the business, and today was his first day with the Canucks. And later tonight, Times Person of the Year, why the magazine calls him a clown and a genius. Did Francesco really go to his house? Yes, he did. He went to his house, apparently. Rutherford said he's never seen an NHL owner come to his house. I hope he called ahead, because I don't like unannounced it would be a bit. It would be a bit much just to show up. Hey, I got a job <laughs> for you. Uh, Jim Rutherford is finally in Vancouver and taking control of the Canucks' day-to-day operations as president and GM for now. He's a Hall of Famer. He's been in the NHL forever. So long, it's kind of like having hockey's equivalent of Gandalf or Dumbledore in charge. No one's going to out-wizard Jim. He has seen it all. He will hire a new GM eventually. Also, he will bring in an assistant for himself this week. Rutherford says he has a list of 40 possible general managers. He's going to start narrowing down the list soon. But even with a new GM, ultimately, Jim Rutherford will have the final say on decisions with the Canucks. And that should be interesting since Jim Rutherford is known as someone who loves to make trades. No sooner had Jim sat down, he was asked about the Canucks and possible moves. I'm not in a hurry to make a trade. Um, I've already got calls. I got calls before I got to Vancouver. Now with that being said, there's work to be done here. There's holes in the lineup. There's areas that have to be worked on. But trades are not going to be easy for the new boss because the old boss left the Canucks in salary cap purgatory. And Rutherford doesn't want to trade futures or young players for aging veterans. I want to be careful with our trades. I don't want to trade draft picks unless they're later round picks. Um, It's not the cycle we're in to trade high draft picks. And the trades we make, I prefer, you know, that we're gaining some age on it. Rutherford knows the Canucks are a team with a young core that he can build around. It's kind of like having part of the puzzle already done for him. 
and he has the biggest piece already in place in that puzzle as well. You know, one of the really plus pluses for us is we have a franchise goalie. And when you're trying to build a championship team and you already have that piece in place, then you can, you can start not chipping away at things. The four straight wins and good vibes around new coach Bruce Boudreaux is exactly what owner Francesco Aquilini was after when he implemented the Canucks purge just over a week ago. He felt the old regime was not setting a high enough bar for the franchise, and Rutherford does. You know, I, I just felt Jim, you know, his standards and the bar that he sets and the expectations and the accountability um, was something that, you know, this, this organization needed. And if you're wondering, the new boss loves the new coach. Boudreaux and Rutherford have been friends since the 1970s, and Rutherford thinks that Bruce Boudreaux is the perfect choice for the job of getting the Canucks back on the road to redemption. I just think, based on what happened the first part of the season, that, that having a guy like Bruce, where he gives the players a lot of confidence and makes them feel good about himself, was really the right guy at this time for this organization. You know, a guy that can come in and motivate and motivate and, you know, get those guys back to feeling they're as good as they, as they should be. The Canucks are home to Columbus tomorrow. Now the Calgary Flames' next three games have been postponed because six of their players have tested positive for COVID, including former Canuck defenseman Chris Tanev. The training facility in Calgary has been shut down as well. The Flames are the third team this season to have games postponed because of COVID outbreaks. Also, Ottawa and the Islanders did. And last night against the Canucks, Carolina didn't have its best player, Sebastian Ajo, and now we know why. He tested positive for COVID as well as forward Seth Jarvis and a trainer as well. So those three will have to stay in Vancouver until they clear protocol. Major League Soccer is a new team coming in called the Charlotte FC. And there will be an expansion draft. Each team must leave some players up for selection. Vancouver left 13 of its players unprotected, including longtime Whitecap Russell Tybert. He uh, started in the Caps residency program in 2008, has played 217 games in Vancouver. For the Whitecats, Florian Youngworth, who was brought in through a trade this season, is available, as is Leonard Owusu, who has been with Vancouver for two seasons. And also up for grabs is veteran defender Andy Rose. He's been with Vancouver for three years. The Whitecaps can only lose one player at the most. If you're wondering, this is how the uh, draw went today for UEFA Champions League, these are the final 16 matchups. There's four of them. The other four are right here. There you go. Paris Saint-Germain with uh, Messi will be taking on Real Madrid. All right. NFL tonight, Kyler Murray and the Rams against, make that Kyler Murray and the Cardinals against the Rams. Although he throws to a Ram here, Kyler Murray does. That's Ernest Jones when uh, it looked like Arizona was going to score a touchdown. First TD of the game was by the Rams, and it's Odell Beckham Jr. from two yards away, but the score at halftime is even at 13. Should mention, COVID is starting to get into the sports world again. Today in the NFL, a record 37 players tested positive for COVID. Uh-oh. I know. There you go. Okay, I'm, gonna... I'm not in the NFL. Time has named its person of the year, and it's a controversial choice. We'll talk about it next. I just watch.
Time magazine has named its 2021 Person of the Year. Tesla and SpaceX CEO Elon Musk was given the honor. And as Global's Eric Sorensen reports, the appointment is not without controversy. Where to start with Elon Musk, the awkward but brilliant visionary? Early ventures in e-commerce led to PayPal. His interest in Mars spawned SpaceX, rockets that can come and go. Heralding a future of interplanetary travel. And then there is Tesla, his vision for electric transportation that's turning the gas-fueled car industry into a battery-powered future. And he welcomes competition if it helps the climate. hope that they also make electric cars so that we can accelerate the transition to sustainable energy. I, you know, I'm confident in the future in Tesla that uh, it will do well, and um, I hope some of these other companies do well too. Time magazine describes Musk as both clown and genius, the man who aspires to save our planet and get us a new one to inhabit. More than a visionary, says this futurist. Someone who's able to execute on that vision and turn that into reality is a viable and hugely uh, successful and profitable Entity. Musk has also courted controversy. The richest man in the world, worth over $250 billion, his sheer wealth, his penchant for shaking up the stock market, his support of cryptocurrency, have all generated criticism. And there are his weird tweets, too. Which are often self-inflicted wounds, uh, or humor that I find funny, but not necessarily that, other, that many other people find funny. We can also ask my mother, who's here tonight. His personal life has connections to Canada. His mother, born in Saskatchewan, he went to Queen's University for a time, and his former partner, Grimes, is also Canadian. He's played along with some of the perceptions. No, I am not the evil. I just uh, misunderstood. But Musk's imagination knows no bounds. He wants to heal this planet, but has Mars as a fallback. The key is, uh, is making this affordable to uh, almost anyone who wants to go. Some worry that one person with such outsized influence may squeeze out other ideas and solutions. It should be less about the individual person and more about the collective well-being and health of, of our society. But society's mavericks are hard to ignore, and Musk is one maverick inspiring new ways to meet the future. Eric Sorensen, Global News, Toronto. Hmm... I'm trying to pick which one of you would be my person of the year. I, I can't. I, I'd have to go with both. I can't choose one. We can share. Aww. Okay. All right. Uh, final word on the weather. Christy. Sure. So best chance of seeing the snow would be over 300 meters for Metro Vancouver, but there is a chance we could see a burst of snowfall for lower elevations. Minimal amounts expected. All right. That's all the time we have for tonight. Thanks for watching. Have a good night, all.